Good morning, church. It's good to be with you all this morning. I'm just going to move this little guy, be centered. Um, man, so hey, if you're new to For the City Church, welcome. I see a couple of new faces this morning. It's great to be with you. Just so you know, we're a new church plant uh, to the area. Um, new as in public service wise, right? So we have been here. Well, actually, we moved here, let's say October. We really began working as a core team in January. Um, but this past September 12th, I think it was, was our first service, right? And we've been going through the book of Galatians. And so one of the, the things that we really value here is, is gospel-centered preaching, right? But, but we, what we want to make sure is that you understand that there's a, there's a context that's happening when we preach the word, which is why we have someone read the whole chapter. So that's why Ryan read the chapter 4 of Galatians. Now, you might think, why did you do that today? Because you're actually preaching from chapter 4, verse 8, the whole way to the end of the chapter. You're going to read it anyway. But normally, we have a much smaller segment. So today, you just need to strap in and get ready because there is a lot to unpack, but it's one main thought. And to break it up any other way would, would be really doing an injustice in a lot of ways because you'd miss the theme that Paul is trying to, to really bring to the churches in Galatia. So with all that being said, let's, let's get going in the Word of God. So last week, friendly reminder, we, we reached what I would say is the peak of the mountain of the gospel, which is the adoption right? That, that justification is the means where we're declared innocent, we're declared righteous in the sight of God. But wait, there's more, right? Like God brings you literally into his family. He says, you're mine, you're my son, you're my daughter, which means you are an inheritor of all that is God's, which is everything, right? So you get God as father, you get Jesus as big brother, you get the church as brothers and sisters, but, but you get you get a new heaven, a new earth, you get a resurrected body. It's, it's endless. But all of those things are really a, a pale comparison to the fact that we get God as a gift, as the Holy Spirit living with us now and forever. And that's all because of what Christ has done and us trusting in the work that he has done in his life, death, and resurrection. So, so imagine that's the scene, because that is the scene coming into this week. And now imagine that that's your reality, and then you look at your Father in heaven, and you say, Father, I've thought about it, and I would actually rather be your slave than your son or your daughter. That's insanity, right? That is insanity, in case you're wondering, right? Like, but that's exactly what's happening here in the book of Galatians. That's exactly what's happening with the people of God. It's a crazy request that they're asking, right? Um, but that's exactly the danger that they're in because essentially they're saying, we don't necessarily want you as father. We want you as master. We want to be your slaves. We want to earn your love. And Paul is like befuddled. He's just befuddled. And what you really hear within this text, if you'll, if you'll really look and if you'll really listen, what you'll see is there's an emotional plead from a pastor who loves these people to not fall for this folly, to not go the way of gone back to slaves of trying to earn God's favor, but to rest in the gospel that Jesus has provided by his grace. And so he's saying, listen, you've begun in grace, but you'll grow in grace. You'll finish this race in grace or you'll not go any further. 
And, and that's the tension that we actually move into. And so look at the, the first few verses. So Galatians 4, 8 through 11. That's going to be where I'm working at at first, right? And really the, the main point is the insanity of going back to the law. That's the, that's the, that's the point. Je, he, essentially, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. That's good gospel math. Right? If you want to trust Jesus and trust your good works in order to get God to love you, you get nothing. You get nothing because you're trying to earn something that's a gift. To, to, a gift is to be received. And so Paul says this. He says, formerly when you did not know God. So listen, there was a time when these folks did not know God. Right? There's a time you didn't know God, whether it was when you were a young boy, a young girl, an old boy, an old girl, or you know, middle age, whatever. There was a time when you didn't know God. He had not revealed himself to you, right? So he's saying, formerly, when you did not know God, here was your life. You were enslaved. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more. I mean, listen to the tension there. You observe days and months and seasons and years, and now listen to his pain. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Like, what's he saying? Essentially, he's saying all of us are worshipers. Every human being's a worshiper. It, it's, right? it's, it's simple in a sense. We're created and we're designed to worship. The English word really just worth-ship, right? So essentially, you're finding meaning, you're finding something, you're finding someone that's worthy of you giving your attention, your life, and something you attribute ultimate worth to. And you can generally tell by looking at someone's pocketbook and time, right? What do you give most of your money to? What do you give most of your time to? That's your object that you're worshiping. Every human worships. To be human is to be a worshiper, right? So the people in Galatia, it wasn't that they weren't worshiping. They just weren't worshiping the one true God who can actually bring about salvation, right? They were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping demons, right? And you think, oh, demons. But that's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, you think you're just doing these things to a God that doesn't exist, but actually, no, there, there is a demonic activity trying to bide your attention, get your love, get your affection to give all of you to them so that you don't worship the one true God who's created you to do just that. And he's saying, but Jesus saved you out of that. And now you want to go back? What are you thinking? What are you doing? But God, right, in his kindness, continues to draw them back to the truth, to the center of the gospel. God, in his kindness, revealed himself to these people because Paul landed there. And notice, he landed there not because he had planned to go there, which is, is pretty amazing in, in so many ways, that God, in his kindness, he said, I have lost sheep in Galatia. So there's going to be a bodily ailment that's going to happen to you, Paul. You think your plans have been derailed, and maybe your plans have, but my plans haven't. I'm going to have you there. You're going to bring the gospel to them, and they're going to believe, and they're going to put their faith and trust in me. So go and preach. And so he did, and the Spirit made known to them the truth of what Paul was preaching. They came to know God. Better yet, to be known by God. Notice the language, right? It... it so exactly what it says. It's not as though that God didn't know the people in Galatia existed, right? God knows all, 
right? He knew they existed. But, but God, I mean, the word to know in the Bible is far more than intellectual. It's, it's, it's much more emotional. It's much more intimate. It's, I know you as my son. I know you as my daughter. I know you. And that's so much more important than the fact that we even know, but that God knows us now. So, so to know someone is much more intimate, which is why in 1 Corinthians 8, 3, it says this, but if anyone loves God, he, know, he is known by God. Right? You see the, the connection. You see the love there, the intimacy. But, but know this, anyone who loves God does so because God loves them first. You didn't just wake up one morning and say, I think I'm going to just give my life to Jesus and follow him. You, you weren't stumbling around looking for the Lord. And if you were, it's because the hound of heaven was already at work in your heart to draw you to him, right? But, but here we see that God knows them. He loves them. He graciously set his affection towards them. Think in the context that we're in. We're in adoption, right? So, so there, are, there are children all over the world right now probably longing to be adopted if they even understand what that means, right? But, but it is not because they know someone out there that they get adopted. It's because someone somewhere has fixed their eyes upon this people and has went and got them. Well, if that's true in an earthly sense, it's certainly true in a, in a very spiritual sense. And so God set his affection on us. He set his affection on the people in Galatia. He went, he got them. Paul brought the gospel message and they believed. These people used to be immoral pagans worshiping demons, but now they have been lovingly set free to worship and love Jesus. Why? The power of the gospel. How? That's how. Right? So do you see that what Paul's saying? How can you turn back? How can you turn back to false gods and idols? You, are, you know God now. You're known by God now. What are you doing? And, and Paul's, Paul's, he's warning them, don't go back. But, but notice what he's, what he's warning them not to go back to, because I think it's actually really fascinating. He's not warning the church to go back, don't go back to pagan idol worship. It's really not, he's warning them. What he's doing, he's pleading them not, not go to the Mosaic Old Testament law, which he considers to be pagan idolatry if you're trying to do that to get the love of God you see it look, look what he says think about what's being said he's saying if you are trying to clean yourself up through devotion to the law it's just another form of paganism it's just another form the Galatians are beginning to, to serve the Old Testament calendar you you observe days and weeks and all these things that's a Jewish behavior that's not necessarily bad, but if you're doing that in order to get God to love you, it's just paganism. It still works righteousness. You're still trying to earn God's love. That's insanity. That's slavery. That's not Christianity is what he's saying. It's not Christianity. And if we're not careful, you and I, we can all do this. The, the motive of our heart almost always is bent on trying to make ourselves right with God. Instead of resting in the fact that because of Christ, we are. Think about it. When, it. when it comes to measuring spiritual growth, right, or progress, our natural instincts is almost always centered on behavioral improvements, right? Well, this person must really know God. Why? Because they don't listen to bad music and they dress right and this and that. They may or may not know God, 
Because there are lots of lost people who will do these things exteriorly that has no effect to their heart, right? Most of the time, we even do it subconsciously, right? Like, we think maybe that God's more pleased with us the more we pray. But God's more pleased with us if we, you know, I, I, now we even have a Bible app that'll tell us 483 days in the Bible, right? And you got this little badge, and, and you're so proud of it, and you're probably thinking, man, if these other losers in the church would start reading their Bible, we would be awesome, but they're not. But at least I am, right? And we check the boxes of how many times we've shared the gospel with our neighbors. And we think now God's more pleased with me. By the way, none of those things are bad. None of those things are bad. I really want to have a people who long to be in the Word of God. I pray that we be a people who pray. I, I, I pray that we be a people who are so full of the, the good news of Jesus Christ that everywhere we run and everyone we bump into, it just spills out on them, and we just can't stop talking about Jesus. But I do not want a church that does that because they're trying to earn God's love. I want it to be from the fact that they understand in Christ God loves me. How could I not tell you? So I read the Bible so I can see and understand this God who loves me. I pray because I have a Father in heaven who longs to hear me. I want you to know him so I'm going to tell you about him. And it's not to get his love. It's because I'm loved. This is the difference between religion and the gospel, which is primarily, fundamentally, relationship. God has, has sent his son to bring a people who could never draw near to him and make a way through the mediation of what Christ has done. And so we, man, we, we need to, to get over the idea that salvation means earning credit with God. But it's so hard. Uh, right? We, we don't do these things to make ourselves right with God. We do these things because we have been made right with God. And Paul's going to hammer that home starting next week in chapter 5, but he's still not done because look what he says. Listen to his pain once again. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. By the way, gospel ministry will cost you. If you want to be invested in your neighbor's lives, it will be more than you making a pot of stew. It will be labor. It will be work. It will be emotional investment. This warning is meant to grab the attention of the Galatians. And, and it's, it's, man, it may even cause you trouble. Like, well, no, if they're saved, once saved, always saved, this type of thing. I want you to know that is true, but most people don't even understand that fundamentally what the Bible speaks of. Like, well, I said my prayer back when I was 13, so I'm cool. The Bible knows no such thing as that, actually. Like salvation being restricted to like a one-time event in the past. Yes, it's true. Yes, that's true, if it is true. But, but you have been saved, and by God's grace, you're being saved, and there will be a day that you will finally and fully be saved. So those who begin in the gospel, finish in the gospel, right? And so if you take an exit, you know, I'm out, I don't care, well, time will tell if God brings you back around. But, but don't ever think like, okay, well, I did it, so now I can just do whatever I want. That is not the Bible. Those who are saved demonstrate their salvation by the way they live. That is not how we get saved, but it is a fruit of salvation. We become more and more like our Savior, right? Now, how quick does that happen? That's another story for another time. But I will tell you this, you're going to see it because now as we move into this next section, 12 through 20, here's the plea. And it's, and it's actually the first 
imperative command in the book of Galatians, which is fascinating. Well, I mean, how many weeks are we in now, Eli? You're, you're the tally guy officially now. Yeah, let's say 8, 9, 10, something like that. And this is the first time in chapter 4 where we hear the first imperative command. And listen to it. I'm in verse 12 through 20. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. I earnestly beg you to become as I am. For I also have become as you are. Meaning, listen, I set aside all the things I became, you know, I became all things to all people so that you might get saved. Now he's saying become as I am. He's saying you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn me or despise me. Listen to this language. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. It's like, man, we, you had a love for me. I'm a messenger. You, you thought I was an angel. I mean, I know I had no wings, but you, I'm a deliverer of good news. We were buds. What then has become of our blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. What a masculine way to say that you love me. Right? You just hear a 13-year-old boy say it. And I'm not calling Paul that. I'm just saying, that's love. How, how much do you love me? Oh, if I needed eyes, you would have gave me yours. That's, that's like better than a like on Facebook. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Oh, that painful question. They make much of you. Those Judaizers, those false teachers, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. They, they, want, they want you to make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. You feel the pain in this language? I do. I do. I've felt the pain in this. Personally. I mean, the Christian life is not primarily about what you do. That's his point. It's much more about what Jesus has done and trusting in him. To emphasize the point, it's taken this long to get to the first command. Think, I mean, just don't miss that. Verse 12 is the first imperative command to do something found in the whole letter of Galatians this far, right? Paul is earnestly begging the church to become as he is. Boy, I'm, I, I am praying for this, that, that we would be not, there is no such thing as reaching perfection before Jesus returns or you go to be with him. Sinless perfection is a false gospel. It's not true. It, it's not good at all. But I would love to see us continue to mature so that we might look at people younger in the faith and say, be like me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Whew. There's responsibility to that. There's weight to that. Right? But that's exactly what Paul's saying. But, but what is he exactly asking them to be like? Him. Well, what is him? Be an apostle? That's not what he means. What he means is free. Be like me. Be free. Do you see that? More specifically, free from the Mosaic law of trying to earn God's love. Be free of that. 
You are free of that, but you actually want to go back to slavery. That's insanity. And I'm so concerned that I've labored in vain over you. Do you not remember when we first met? Oh my goodness, how you were enslaved to all these false gods worshiping, trying to get God to love you. And he, Jesus, set you free by the Spirit, by the proclamation of the gospel. We were like celebrating. We were worshiping. We were like enjoying life together. What has happened? Who's bewitched you? Why would you want to go back? That's been your whole lives. Jesus set you free from that. Why would you want to go back to that? Paul is lovingly, warmly, and urgently calling them back to the gospel. And he's reminding us that progress in faith or growth in the Christian life It's really a matter of applying outwardly what you've already received inwardly by God's grace. Right? Religion's all outside in, right? But it never gets in. It's just, it's just, you're always just trying to like put on these things outwardly so that everybody might be impressed with you, but inside you're just tortured because you know it's not real. You want to know how you'll grow? By trusting and resting. That's how you grow. What is his desired outcome? Look at verse 19. Freedom, freedom from trying to earn God's love, resting in the fact that you are loved, leads to Christ being formed in you. That you is not like you singular. That's you body. Right? Like, I want you to be like Christ. How does that happen? Freedom. Freedom. Right? Get what's being said here. By God's grace, we are working out what God has already worked in. You're essentially just becoming what you already are. In, in the courtroom of heaven, you are holy. You are as righteous as Jesus Christ because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But functionally, in your everyday life, you're probably not hitting grand slams every day. Right? You're not loving the Lord your God with your heart, whole heart, mind, soul, strength, 24-7. And if you are, I'll sit down, you come up, teach us. But you're not. But in heaven you are. So essentially, you're just becoming what you are. He's saying, I want to see Christ formed in this church. And you think it's by going back and doing things. It's never worked. It will not work. That's slavery. You've been set free. Move forward in the freedom you have. You're already His children. Quit trying to get Him to love you. He loves you. Like That's the tension that He's preaching, teaching right now in this book. And I see this all the time. You and I, listen, do not lack anything for our salvation. This means that real change happens as we continually rediscover the beauty of the gospel. You and I don't move on to bigger and better things than Christ dying for sinners. There is nothing bigger. There is nothing better than that news. The progress of the Christian life is not found in our white-knuckling attempts trying to clean ourselves up to get God to love us. Instead, growing in grace happens when you and I rest and receive the good news that Christ has done it all. Receive it. Believe it. Ask God to press it into the deepest parts of your heart. And you have no choice but to be changed when that happens. Because love begets love. Remember that line in Amazing Grace? I haven't thought about that song for a while. Met with Hannah this week. Thought about it. 
we were talking about that song, and so it made it into the sermon, Hannah. It, by the way, the, the line is, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed? You know that, right? And how, man, how easy is it for us to forget how precious grace felt and how much we needed it at the beginning of our Christian lives and then just move on to something bigger and better, apparently. It's the first arrived. Man, when, when I remember when I first got saved, whoo, right? Grace, I need grace. But then we think somehow we've graduated from it. I just need a little grace now. You never graduate from the fact that you're constantly in need. You're a needy person. I'm a needy person. Our Father loves to provide. And He loves to provide grace. He loves to provide mercy. Listen, the moment that we begin to feel as though we have arrived or that we're somehow getting better, grace starts to become less amazing to us. It just does. And when that happens, we wrongly conclude that we, we don't need grace a lot, right? We need it at the beginning, but to grow, to improve, to change, eh, not so much. We need that a little less. That's a huge mistake. That's exactly what this church is doing. Because we never outgrow our need. Once again, actually, uh, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to skip that. It was really good, but <laughs> for another time. For another time. Understanding the gospel is miracle growth for a Christian. It just is. It's just miracle growth because love begets love. When I start to think about God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, my heart longs to please the one who's made me a way to be pleased and pleasing in his sight, right? It's miracle growth. God provides everything we need to grow in grace. That's how Christ is formed in a church body. It's by grace. Justification, awesome. Love, yes. Think about all the things he provides. He provides justification, love, mercy, grace, adoption, cleansing, new beginnings, eternal, eternal approval, acceptance, righteousness, rescue, redemption, himself. He gives you his spirit. You're never alone. You may feel alone at times. You may feel like the most alone person in the world that no one ever sees you, but you are never alone if you're in Christ because he's always with you. And he's always at work to continue to draw your heart back to the truth that you need him and that he loves to provide because he didn't love you because you were lovable. He died in your place to make you lovable. And now if he'd do that while you were a sinner rebellious, ungodly, warring against him, warring against his good rule and reign, why would he ever stop? Answer, he wouldn't. And that's grace. And he says, so why would you do it? So the Galatians, you and I, if you're in Christ, we're free. But you and I are also faced with a choice. Either we will work hard to save ourselves, which you can't, by trusting in ourselves, by trusting in our good works, which never work, but that's religion, or we will continue to walk forward in our freedom in the fact that you and I are saved. That we are saved, and we will passionately worship Jesus if that's the case. 
The more you understand grace, the more you love Jesus. The more you love Jesus, the more all the things in your life get worked out, period. That's a fact. And so what do they need? They need more gospel. Let us be a people who rest in the gospel. And when, they, when we hear the word rest, we generally think lazy. That's not what the Bible teaches. We will passionately rest in the gospel while constantly working to bring more people into his joy. Because I'm not trying to earn anything. I got everything in Christ, right? And so it happens from the inside out. Paul is agonizingly working to this end. And this is God's desire for all his children, that Christ would be formed in us. That you and I would decrease that Christ would increase, that we'd be more like our Heavenly Father. We'd be like Dad. We'd have the hat on backwards. Remember last week if you were here, we'd be carrying the lunch pail. I'm with Dad. What's your dad like? He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. He's full of compassion. He's full of love. I want you to know Him. I want you to know Him. That's the way forward. But, but i got to tell you, growth doesn't always work clean like that right growth involves pain by the way it really does God's desire is that we'd be you know see Christ formed in us as a people so that we could represent him to the world which is how we magnify Jesus to the world by our love you will know my disciples by how they love one another right but that growth process isn't always clean from point a to point b I think of our we have a chiropractor uh, that we used to go to when we lived back near the Indiana area. And I'll never forget, he had this chart in his office, and it showed this, this healing journey. You remember this, Jesse? So here you are. You got injured. Not doing good. Back's hurting. And here's, like, apparently the epitome of health with a broken body, because we all have it. And at first, you notice a, a real quick increase, right? So you, you're starting to walk up, feeling a little better, but immediately you'll sac- you actually take some steps back. You'll feel worse. Because your body's healing, it's being stretched, it's being molded, it's all these things. You think it's not good, but he's saying keep walking, because eventually you'll start to know you're starting to make a little traction. But you might even have another step back. That's Christian growth. That's, that's Christian growth. It works just like that. The Christian life is like that in so many ways. It's not marked by a continual straight line of growth. Right? Come to know Jesus, now I'm awesome. I mean, I didn't even get rid of all my good music right away, <gasps> right? Even though some really square Christians told me to. Then I went and bought them anyway. They were tapes, so I'm not upset anymore um, because I wouldn't listen to them even if I had them because tapes, and I get it digitally now. Growth in the Christian life's not like that. There are peaks and valleys. There are moments where you just... You're just so thoroughly convinced God's love for you that you just feel like you could walk on water. You just, like, you just want to tell everyone. And then there are times where you're just out and about and you're stumbling and, and, and you just feel so far from God. And you just feel like, like, I don't think I'm growing at all. And you feel like I'm just, I've taken two steps forward, maybe three back. And that, that, that is how Christian growth works but the temptation comes in is when that comes in is now I've got to go do things to get him to love me that's such a mistake now if you want to get into words so you can be reminded of his love go get him champ 
Go read, get it in your ears, go sing it, go pray it, go enjoy the Bible with a community of people who love Jesus that can encourage your heart in the Word of God. Do that thing. That's good. But if you think, man, i got to get the Bible so that he'll actually he'll love me again, you're fundamentally upside down. Just fundamentally upside down. He loves you. He loves you. And that love to know the gospel is the, the motivation for the Christian to just take one more step. I'm going to fall again. I know. One more step. Just one more step. I can't take another step. I'll come pick you up. That's why I gave you brothers and sisters. This is what Paul's encouraging. It, by the way, it can be messy. Christian life can be messy. Many times we want people to look and behave just like us as soon as they get saved. And when they don't, they leave. They leave. Because it's like, well, I'm never going to be like that. Like, I don't even like the shop at Target. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not even saying you guys shop at Target, but you get my point. Like, we don't all have to look the same. By the way, Target's awesome. Go get it. Right? Like, TJ Maxx, whatever. I don't care. But who cares? Who cares? Listen, as a church plant, you and I are going to have messy people come into this family, and, and it's going to be an annoyance. Can we just be real? Like, oh, no, it'll never annoy me. Then you're not even in the game. It's an annoyance at times to me, and I was like, Lord, forgive me. This is why we came. But, man, my phone's blowing up. But when a baby comes into a family, they're messy. And they don't just get up and start running around and cleaning and cooking and like, I got it, Mom. They just make messes. You feed them, they puke on you. You feed them, they poop on you. You feed them, they pee on you. Right? They cry a lot. They keep you awake. And it's laborsome. And by the way, Paul's going to talk just about that exact thing. But what do they need? Not told, knock it off and get busy. What they need is told, do you remember how you came to faith? Like God just showed up in your life in an amazing way and revealed himself to you through the gospel. He's got you. He's got you. Come on, let's go. Let's go. I can't. Yes, you can. Let's go. Let's walk. And, and so it takes a family. We need each other. The church needs you, and you need the church. Never make the mistake of thinking anything other than that. We need to encourage one another in the gospel. I want to look just again at 15 through 20, and then we'll move on to the last part. But, but really, I, what has become of your blessedness? Like, he's saying, we had such love. He's like, I testify to you that if possible, you would have actually gouged out your eyes. You would have given them to me. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? You ever had that in your life? You love someone so much, you see them, they're heading right into traffic, and you're like, listen, stop. And turn. This is not going to end well for you. Don't tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. And they're continually heading towards this disaster. Shipwreck of their life. But, they, but you sell. What? Oh, because I told you that this is a horrible idea. You, our love's gone now. Because I, what? I told you the truth? Because I told you the truth? That's what Paul's doing right now. He's saying, all oh, these people who keep applauding you and patting you on the back oh yeah they love you now they make much of you listen why but for no good purpose they don't actually love you they want to shut you out that 
What? That you would make much of them. They don't care about you. They care about themselves. And he's saying it's, it's good. Yeah, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only that, when I'm present with you, my little children. Listen to that phrase. This is the same man who said, bewitched, anathema. Tell them to go to hell if they preach anything else. My little children. These are adults. Same baby talk. What he's saying is, I love you like a father loves you. What are you doing? Hear me. You think they love you? They don't love you. They love themselves. Quit listening to them. For whom I am again, I am in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Oh, I want to see you guys delivered from slavery. I want to see you. I mean, you are born again, I hope. And if you are, then that's going to show because you're going to be seeing Christ formed in you. Look, he says, I wish I could be present. This would be nice to have Zoom. I'd like the Zoom. I'd like to fly there. No planes, no Zoom, no FaceTime. Why? Because I'd like, I'd like to change my tone. I know you guys are probably perplexed as you hear this letter read, but I'm perplexed. I'm perplexed about you. What are you doing? You hear his tone? You hear his love? It's tough love. Love responds to people where they are, by the way, not where we hope them to be. He's loving them right where they're at, but it doesn't look like Care Bears. Love's anchored in the real world. It it tackles the real problems that people face. It doesn't give up on others when things get to hard, you know, be very difficult because we're expecting them to be at a certain point and they're not. It doesn't just say, well, done with you. He doesn't do that. But love, love's not only tough, not, love not only draws out truth, but notice it, love longs for people to develop. It's not okay. He, he longs for their growing, for their maturing. He, he longs for them to be like Christ. That's his aim. And so we will love others well when, when we love them to Jesus. With our hearts, our minds, our soul, our strength, That's my aim is that you would just love Christ more and that takes a miracle. But you're part of that because God's allowed you to be a part of that. So every part of the body works together. This this will, by the way, require much anguish. If you give yourself to Christ, and if you give yourself to Christ, there's no option really but to give yourself to the body of Christ. Really there's not. But if you give yourself to a people, it will pain you if you really do. If you always keep people this way, it won't. But if you just say, now I'm going to give myself to you. I'm going to be vulnerable. That means I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to love you. That means I'm going to get hurt. But I'm going to labor so that you might love. And I'm going to labor by making sure my love's genuine for the Lord first and foremost and calling other people to come with me. That's what he's doing. But make no mistake about it. Gospel ministry is costly. That's what Paul's saying here. It's marked by love. It's marked by honesty. Not spin, not flattery, not always, you're awesome, right? Well, maybe you are. That's what the false teachers were doing. Notice, they need to have people need them. They make much of you, not because they actually love you, but because they want you to say how awesome they are. Man, be aware to never minister from need. 
you know what I mean by that? Like, I need something from you. I need you to tell me that you need me. That's a danger, right? We are needy. Make no mistake about it. I need Jesus. I need his strength. I need his power. I need his mercy. I need his spirit. But I need nothing from you. That's why I can actually love you. Because about the time you need something from that person, you will compromise truth. You will compromise the whole thing because you need them to love you. And Paul is saying, no, that's not real love. Those who receive all that they have and need in the gospel are freed to love people. Right? So, what about this last section? 21 through 31. What do we do with that? Right? Well, the, the main point is live free as a people born by a miracle of grace. So, he, listen, I'm going to read it in whole, and I think we're going to summarize it pretty well, and we're going to be done on time. That's a miracle. Ready? Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. So, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants, one's from Mount Sinai, bearing children of slavery. She's Hagar. Now Hagar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just at that time, just as at that time, he who is born according to the flesh persecuted him, who was born according to the Spirit. That, that born according to the Spirit is probably the most important line in all that's been said so far. So also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Whew, what's that about? That's a good question. In an attempt to help the church understand what's happening in their church, he points them back to Genesis. Good. <laughs> yeah, Paul wrote three quarters of the New Testament, and he's of the letters, so he's obviously a good Bible guy, right? So he goes back to Genesis, and, and he wants them to understand that the freedom that they have in the gospel, and, and to do that, he, he reminds them of the story of Hagar, Abraham, and Sarah. And he, but notice he interprets it, allegorically through a gospel lens right so we have to remind ourselves that even as we think about it so let's break it down here's the situation and it is a situation right like Abraham cannot have any children because Sarah his wife is barren and God had told him you will have a multitude more numerous than the stars and he's getting old in age, as a matter of fact, around this time, he's about 100, Sarah's about 90, and he's thinking, well, no, God said it, but nothing's happening. And if you're familiar with how, you know, these things work, then you know that's a problem. So Sarah comes up with 
what she thinks is a good idea. And that her husband ought to, and, you know, have relations with the slave woman, right? The servant woman. And that because she's probably young and vibrant, she'll have a baby. And that means you'll have a baby. That means all these things could happen like God had said. By the way, so you're picking up what I'm laying down, children in the room, pay attention. Men, that's a horrible idea, right? I subscribe to the happy wife, happy life. But if she ever says that, run and pray and don't go to that area of life. This is a horrible idea. But Abraham listens to his wife's instruction and does just that. And they have a son. Hagar has a son. His name is Ishmael. Then God comes to Abraham in Genesis 17, and he says, nope, not cool. That's my translation, right? Um, Abraham, that's not the way we're going to go forward. That was never the plan. I'm going to give Sarah a child. Well, she's barren. He's calling Abraham, who's 100, and Sarah, who's 90, to trust him to provide. See it? You've got to see the contrast of what he's doing, which would require what? A miracle. And that's the point, right? God provided that miracle through Isaac, right? So do you, do you see the contrast? Essentially what he's saying to the church in Galatia, to the believers, that the children, that you are children of the free woman. It's a miracle that you believe. It's not because you went and did these things. You did not do these things. That, that's a slave woman. That's Hagar. You're trying to get, you know, you can't make yourself born again any more than Isaac could come to be unless I did the miracle in Sarah. So the miracle I did in Sarah, I'm now doing in this body. If you want it any other way, that's slavery. And what did, what did Abraham do? They cast out that slavery out of here. You see the contrast, the kind of nuance. Say it another way. Um, we do not become children of God by the law, what we do, right? But, but by the promise of God, what God has done and what the Spirit has done. That's why the most important line in that whole text is that it, Isaac was born according to the Spirit. He was born by a miracle. Salvation requires a miracle. Listen, if you're here and you love Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, a miracle has happened in your life. Oh, I want to see miracles. You are a walking, talking miracle. Get it. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I grew up in a house where they taught me about Jesus, so it's really not that very impressive. It's a miracle if you love Jesus. It's a miracle of heart. You had a stony heart who didn't love God, but actually warred against him. And God, in his kindness, sent his spirit through the proclamation of the gospel to take out that stony heart, to give you a heart of flesh that would respond in love and want to desire to enjoy God. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Look at verse 29. Born according to the Spirit. There was a glaring difference between Abraham and Ishmael. Ishmael was born according to human means, flesh, right? That's present Jerusalem, by the way. That's a physical present Jerusalem. Notice that in the text. Abraham, Hagar, attempted to produce an heir through their own human ability since Sarah could have no children. That was a faithless move. That was a faithless move. Going back to the law, that's what he's saying. It's a faithless move. Notice that. But Isaac was born supernaturally. 
right? And because that's true, the only way this child was going to be born was if God provided, if God provided, and he intervened and gave the miracle, and he did. That's from above. That's the Jerusalem from above. So that's the contrast in this tale. It's a great story, but why here, why now, Paul? Well, this allegory actually takes us all the way back to chapter 3, verse 2. Okay, it really does. And it's finishing out the section now. He's saying in chapter 3, verse 2 of Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? And the answer was, obviously, hearing by faith. So what's the point? Our status as sons and daughter is not because we've worked our way into the family by cleaning ourselves up. We are children of faith. We are children of a promise that was brought about by the Spirit. That's his point. Our adoption is a miracle of grace, not human effort. And that's good news. That's good news because he did it. Because without a question, you and I, we are a society of doers. We are. Just do it, right? Just do something. Everyone's talking about what we do. It's in us. We've been told a thousand different ways that our accomplishment comes before our acceptance right? Do, and then you are. The achievement comes before approval. Uh, We long for affirmation and validation. We set out to prove our worth all the time by working and doing unknowingly. By the way, this creeps its way into the church. Christians do this stuff all the time. It's our cultural context. We've absorbed it in our mentality that we think that our relationship with God is understood by what we do, not primarily what God God has done through Christ, which is why, listen, Jesus was asked in John 6, 28, he was asked this, what must we do to do the works that God requires? They asked Jesus this, and listen to what Jesus said, the work of God is this, ready? To believe in the one whom he has sent. It's faith. It's faith. But we don't like that. There has to be more. I have to do something. Give me something to do so I can tell everyone else how great I am. We always feel that we have to be doing something for God to be pleased with us. We can never sit still. As a, as a, as a culture in, a, in America, that is so true. Achieving, not receiving, has become the mark of spiritual maturity within the church, and that's wrong. That's wrong. I, I see it all the time. Look at me. Look what I've done. We boast in the cross and what Christ has done. That will make us a people who actually go and do things that are not about us, but about Christ, about his cross. With that in mind, Martin Luther said this, to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. (laughs) Anyone else feel that? Well, then maybe say amen if you believe that. Yeah, amen. It's the hardest thing to actually believe that I have forgiveness of sin and peace with God because of nothing that I've done, but only by grace alone through what Christ has done alone on the cross alone. That is the hardest thing to simply trust and receive. So many Christians these days want to be drawn. They're drawn like bugs to a light with practical how-tos, to-do lists, how to have your best life now. Sermons, I mean, they come packaged anymore. I mean, you just get them and you just read them and people flock to it and they love it. Just, pastor, tell me what to do. 
Just tell me what to do. I want my three ways of looking awesome in the church. Rather than the declaration that it's finished. It's finished. All the work to bring your wretched self into the family has been accomplished by Christ. We need nothing more than a proclamation of Christ's work. It has been accomplished. Right? Like, we want to be told what to do. We want something applicable. Well, come next week, because Paul is going to jump right into it. Come next week, because that's where application starts to flow from all the four chapters that have went before. But before you ever do anything, you better understand what has been done for you. And the doing doesn't happen because we're trying to get. It's because we've received. And that's the difference. The gospel is not a help wanted ad. It is a help needed ad. And Jesus has supplied all that is needed. And so God help us to believe that. Believing and receiving is the way that Christ will be formed in this church. No other way. Because that's the only way that God's ever formed Christ in a church. And it's by faith. And it's faith alone in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, that you have had a plan from before the earth ever existed to bring sinners into your family. And that plan is so much more than just a one-time moment, I trust and love Jesus. That plan is to see your people representing you here on earth as salt and light in a community and in a city and in a world that is in darkness. And you do that by a message, a simple yet very profound message that Jesus died to save sinners. And all who will come and trust and believe upon that message will be born again. It's a miracle that we will then be like our Heavenly Father. And, and we do these things not to get your love, but because we understand we are infinitely loved through what Christ has done. That we're in Him and that He's in us. And, and so that's where real power comes from. That you've given us the gift of your Spirit who now dwells in all who believe. And you're working out in us what's already true of us. This is profound. But yet it's very simple. So God, I pray that you would today, right now, miraculously reveal more of your love. Holy Spirit, that you would just affectionately warm the hearts and minds of people of the truth that we are loved in Christ. That Jesus stretched out his arms to, to receive the punishment we deserve. That he took our sins upon himself on the cross, but that in kindness he, he gave us the gift of his righteousness. And therefore we are fully and perfectly and wonderfully forgiven. Your mercy is more. Every time we look at the cross, we realize how much your mercy is, how much your grace is. And, and so now we have the perfect righteousness of Christ. Therefore, we're free. <laughs> we're free to receive love from our Father. We are your children. We have been adopted into the family by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so it will be by those means that we will continue to grow to be more like you. We need that miracle. God, help us. Help us to be more like you, we ask in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.